Hello, and welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning. Um, in a minute, I'm going to pray that God will really speak to you. But before that, I want to just say thank you. Uh, it's always complicated when pastors stand up here and talk about money, but I'm here to talk about money and say thank you. So that's a little better. But I, I want you to know that your decisions about whether to trust God with your finance, about whether to trust the elders and this church with your uh, donations, is, it has a huge difference. Um, during the Christmas season, we kind of showed some videos and a pamphlet and stuff. A lot of wonderful things going on, a lot of lives being changed. And that's the Holy Spirit doing that. But the Holy Spirit also you know, motivates you to participate in that or not. If you, if you haven't, uh, it just makes a big difference both in your own heart and also in what we can do. But our fiscal year starts in October, so the elders are very responsible. They look at October, November, and December to kind of figure out, you know, are we on track? Will we be able to make it through the lean months, which are like January and uh, the summer and stuff like that? So at the end of December, would you pull out your bulletin? Because at the very back of your bulletin, and I had one here. Oh, there it is. So on the very back, the bottom number is in blue. Um, it, we, just, we asked everybody to think about it at the end of the year, and you guys really came through. We received probably our best first quarter, because our fiscal year starts in October, so our first, best three months probably in five years. Really encouraging to the elders and to me. So thank you very, very much. Really appreciate it. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, you're the only one who knows uh, why each of us is here and how some of us just came because that's what we do and some of us came really needing to hear from you and some of us came wanting to help. Um, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill this place now, that beyond anything we might expect, uh, you would minister to our hearts, to us, that each person here would sense your presence and feel spoken to by you that you would customize what's said and what's sung, what's prayed for each person, that we would walk out of here just amazed at you and grateful for the way you love us. So come now, Spirit, work powerfully. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you open an app or a Bible to Philippians chapter 2. It's on page 981 in the Pew Bible if you'd prefer to use that versus an app. And I, I always encourage you to kind of leave it open the whole time because I'll go back and forth to it and you'll have closed it and then go, oh, he's back there again. So just kind of leave that open. We're going to start with, chap- with verse 14 and we're going to kind of work backwards um, to cover a lot of it. So chapter 2 of Philippians, starting at verse 14. The Apostle Paul writes... Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to to the word of life. Doesn't everyone you know grumble, complain, kind of question in a negative way? Shouldn't we do that? Doesn't complaining and grumbling actually help to improve things? 
Now, we're talking in this series about being better best friends or better spouses. Doesn't grumbling or complaining to our, our spouses help them know where they need to improve, Janice? What, what if I think my spiritual gift is telling people how they should improve? Uh, you know that mankind fell in the Garden of Eden, and then God, after some centuries, he chose Abraham to be the father of his people. And he left, and he sent him to the promised land, and Abraham was obedient. But when he got there, God said that the Canaanites hadn't yet filled up the measure of sinfulness for them to deserve to be driven out and crushed. And so God set everything up. You know, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, but he gets to Egypt. He becomes the prime minister of Egypt, basically. And then there's a famine in Israel, and the Israelites, they go to Egypt, and they're welcomed. But eventually, there's a pharaoh who doesn't know Joseph, and they are enslaved for upwards of 400 years. And the time then is ripe in Canaan for them to go and inherit the promised land. And God sends Moses to deliver them. And you probably remember the 10 plagues and uh, as they leave Egypt, the Egyptians give, give their wealth to them and they come up against the Red Sea and the Red Sea parts and they go through and the Egyptian army is destroyed when the Red Sea comes back together. And they're in the wilderness and there are probably hundreds of thousands of them given the numbers they give us. And they don't have any food. And so they start grumbling. They want to stone Moses. Hundreds of thousands of them. And God gives them quail and manna. And then they go on, and then they're thirsty. And they start grumbling against God again. They want to stone Moses. And God gives them water from a rock. And it says in Deuteronomy 8 that God was testing them to see what was in their hearts. And God makes Moses' brother Aaron the high priest, and his lineage are going to be the priests. And Korah and Dathan and some others say, well, we're just as holy, and we're tired of Moses lording it over us. And so they grumble and rebel along with 250 other guys. And God tells Moses and everybody to stand back from the tents of Dothan and Abiram and Dathan, of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Moses says, you know, if God really sent me, then what's going to happen is these people are going to die in a really unusual way, like maybe the ground will swallow them up. And then we read immediately, I'll read it to you. As soon as he, that's Moses, had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods, so they and all they had they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. They weren't supposed to offer the incense, and they had rebelled. Now, why would God take this grumbling and rebellion against Moses and Aaron so seriously? Well, he was trying to create a nation of a bunch of slaves, and they were kind of still slaves in their hearts. Um, lots of reasons. In the end, he, he keeps them in the wilderness for 40 years because, because they're slaves in their hearts. And it's the next generation that actually inherits the promised land because they won't trust God. 
Well, what does that have to do with us and Paul's command not to grumble or complain? You probably see where this is going. The rescue of the Israelites from slavery, down through the centuries, Christians have used that as a, as a metaphor, as an illustration of what Christ has done in our lives. That he's rescued us from slavery to sin. He paid for our sins, adopted us into God's family. That When we say he's rescued us from slavery to sin, we all sin, but he's actually given us the power to resist any temptation. It says in 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. So he has rescued us from slavery to sin. More than that, he promises that anything we give to him and his kingdom, we get back a hundred times. Jesus says in Matthew 19, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And he even says, and we're not smart enough to understand this when difficult things happen, but he even says that he is so powerful he'll bring good out of them. In Romans 8, 28, we know that in everything God works for good with those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And although Korah and Dathan and their people wanted to, we're just as good as the priests, we can be holy too. And God said, no, it's going to be Aaron's people. In our case, Jesus makes us all priests with direct access to God. Why does Paul tell us not to grumble? Because when we grumble, we're telling God we are ungrateful for what he has done and what he is doing. We're saying we don't really believe that everything will work out for our good. We're saying that we don't really believe the gospel, that we've been given eternal life and that the life that's waiting for us is far beyond anything we could imagine and that actually everything right now is going to work for our good. All our tears will be wiped away. Everything will, looking backwards, be redeemed. You see, when we complain and murmur, we've been given so much more than the Israelites who were rescued out of slavery. And yet complaining and murmuring is kind of a way of life for some people. You know any of those? You guys know the saying of, I'm going to say it wrong in English, Descartes? I think, therefore, I am. I know some people, it's kind of like, I complain, therefore, I am. I knew a man like that. Every time we go to a restaurant, he'd complain to the servers. Every time I tried to do something nice for him, he'd complain I did it wrong. Everywhere he went, just kind of like complaining, trying to bring his misery to everybody else. Now, if the people closest to you were completely honest, spouse, best friend, people you work with, would they say that you are typified by a joyful, grateful heart that encourages them, or are you always pointing out what you're disappointed about, even if it's not about them? Now, don't misunderstand me. Everyone I know grumbles or complains at least a little bit. I do. I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. I, I complain some. Everybody does. But it is also true that most people complain far more than is reasonable. Because even though God has given us a new heart, we have with a deep desire to please Him and become like Jesus, 
we still have the remains of our old nature. Paul puts it like this in Galatians. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So even though you want to please God, even though you want to become like Jesus, we all mess up. But it is also true that some people are obviously much more grateful than others and almost never complain. And you probably have somebody come into mind right now, don't you? That's pretty joyful, pretty grateful, hardly ever complains. The good news is that if you're willing to follow Jesus, he will give you the supernatural power to become, and I I use this word on purpose, happier. And a person who's more helpful, who murmurs and complains very little. Why, why would you care? Why would you want to do that? Now, today we're finishing up a brief series of three messages about how to be a better best friend, a better spouse, a better coworker, uh, people close to you, how to be better. And we've, we've looked at, let me just review a couple of the concepts. We do not want to become better so that we earn our salvation. Jesus has done it all. You, you can't earn it. It's done. We do want to become better because we know that pleases God. When we love people well that he loves and he loves everyone, that pleases him. We also want to become more like Jesus because we worship him and we want to become like whatever we worship. Would you look at Philippians 2 again? There's a principle here that that we we need, need to look at. fits right in with this series. Starting at verse 12, we're working backwards. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence but much more in my absence... Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It says work out your own salvation. Well, doesn't that sound like works? I just said we're not saved by works. Do do your works earn your salvation? Absolutely not. But do you work at pleasing God and becoming like Jesus? If you love him, you do. Do you have the power to just kind of profoundly say, well, from now on I'm going to be more loving? No, you don't. We're not that powerful. We can't just reach into our hearts and change our our attitudes and desires, but God can change our attitudes and desires. And throughout history, he has looked for people who would do this to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in what he's doing in our hearts. One of the main ways that we do that is we train spiritually. We put into place habits that engage us with the Holy Spirit and with, with people. Things like reading our Bible regularly, praying regularly, Worshiping, like on Sundays. Serving people, being in a small group, those types of things. What God does is you would think, well, if I, you know, if I study the Bible regularly, that's about this big of a step. But what the Holy Spirit does is he takes that little step and empowers it supernaturally. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually experience much more change. And I think, well, if I were to pray regularly, that's probably about it. But then actually the Holy Spirit works in it it becomes even more powerful than what we would imagine. We're not talking about simply something we do on our own efforts. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to be transforming us supernaturally in our hearts. We are to cooperate with that, and our choices, every choice, is very important. Every time that you choose to use the power of the Holy Spirit to resist temptation, and we read earlier, you've been promised there's no temptation that's too, too, too strong to overcome you. When you choose to resist temptation... That makes you stronger for the next time when you have that same temptation. When you choose to give in to temptation, that that builds the pattern of giving in to temptation. You become more like Jesus and better at resisting temptation each time you do.
So the New Testament commands us over and over, and you can't read it without seeing this, to live lives that please God and imitate Jesus. Not to earn salvation. That's clear too. But because we love God and we love people. Anyone who does not want to please God and become like Jesus doesn't really love Him. In general, the more we cooperate with the Spirit, the more rapidly we see inner transformation happening. We see our attitudes and desires change. Let me put this in just real obvious terms. If I'm going to play on a soccer team, what are they going to ask me to do? Practice. They're going to say, show up. Come be coach, show up, practice. So they're going to make me run around the track and get in shape, and then they're going to make me practice passing the ball and then practice shooting the goal and practice playing defense. And then when the game comes, we can work as a team and we're better equipped to do that. If I don't show up for practice, if I don't get in shape, if I don't practice passing the ball or defense or kicking into the goal, how am I going to be as good as if I do practice? No. And spiritually, it's very similar except it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. If we refuse to serve or to study the Scriptures or to pray regularly, we find that we're just not growing that rapidly. The Holy Spirit still changes us, but we don't end up changing as rapidly. So it's very important that we cooperate, that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, not to earn something, but because that means we love God and want to please Him and become like Jesus. The choices you make are very important. And you probably live in one of the places and one of the times that is, it could, you could make a case that this is one of the most tempting. Because you can choose to be like everyone else and be too busy to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and develop some serious spiritual training habits, like being involved in some way to serve, like being in a small group. And we're going to start sign-ups for small groups next week, so if you're not in one, I sure hope you're thinking and praying about it. Every choice that you make in this way is important. We have so many options because of our prosperity. And many, they're not evil options. Many of them, they're good options. You're going to have to choose. Are you going to grow very, very little as a lover of Jesus? Or are you going to grow much faster because you're going to actually train and even train with the team? I hope that makes sense. Now, in this brief series, I've suggested that you pick just one of the suggestions. I gave a couple each message, things like, you know, give your spouse or your best friend some encouragement each day or become quicker to forgive, don't latch on to those things, stuff like that. And I'll give a couple more suggestions today. But again, I would suggest that you just choose one of all of them from the series. You're much better off really hunkering down and, and cooperating with the Holy Spirit in one area than trying to do it all. Um, and the first one for today comes right out of the text that we we read to begin with, do all things without grumbling or questioning. And it's simply this. Complain less with your spouse or the people close to you or the people you work with. Live out what you believe. If you really believe you've been forgiven, you've been taken out of the land of bondage, the spiritual Egypt, and set free. And you've got this amazing future that's waiting for you and all of this power with you right now and that even the awful things that happen to you, God's going to turn them around, redeem them, and make them come out for your good. If you really believe that, then the complaining should be at a minimum. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. So live out those beliefs by complaining less, and that's in two ways. Complain less about the person that you're trying to be a better best friend of, but also complain less to your spouse or best friend. Because it kind of goes both ways, doesn't it? 
Sometimes people kind of undermine the whole atmosphere of a relationship because they're always, they're always bellyaching about something instead of actually speaking grace and confidence in God and trust. Don't be Pollyanna-ish. It isn't about saying, oh, everything's hunky-dory and what? No. Recognize pain. Weep with those who weep. But at the same time, speak a word of faith and hope and confidence in God. Lori Davidson, um, for five years, was our uh, women's director of women's ministry, and um, she's off taking care of her grandkid now in Chicago. But she would say to me often, I have a sneaky suspicion that God is up to something good. Now, she never said that when it was obvious God was up to something good. That was always when something bad was happening, that felt bad, that looked bad, that felt bad. But it was a great way for her to just kind of remind me of what I believe, that God is up to something good, even when I don't see it. This week, a man diagnosed with a very difficult uh, health situation um, just impressed me, impressed a bunch of us, just saying, you know, He's grateful because he's already seeing some things that probably wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for this. Spiritual things, inner things. Seeing the good that, we don't always see it right as it's happening, but seeing the good that's coming out of it. Paul said, we rejoice in our sufferings. Who does that? But he has a reason, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. I mean... Who wouldn't want to experience more of the love of God being poured into their hearts? And that's what Paul is saying. Instead of complaining, he's saying, God, I don't even know right now, but I know that you're going to bring good out of this because you promised. And because by then Paul had seen it happen over and over. Have you seen it happen over and over? Have you seen the horrible things happen and you, and, and you say, oh, there's no way God's going to redeem this? And then boom, a few years later, you look back and you go, he did. How do you do that? And there's still some things that I don't see. But I've seen enough that I trust him for the ones I don't see. So figure out ways to bring this perspective into your relationship with your best friend or your spouse. That even in the worst of times, God's up to something good. If you'd like to work on complaining less, one of the things that you'll find is it's very helpful to keep this at the forefront of your mind. A very simple exercise you can do, you can take out your smartphone, you can start like a notes thing, and just put the dates down on the left-hand margin. Today's the 21st, tomorrow's the 22nd, 23rd, 24th, etc. And then you can even set an alarm to you know, remind you two, three times a day. And when the alarm goes off, you take it out and you open up the notes and you think, okay, since the last time I looked at this, have I complained? Oh, put an X if you complained. Have I resisted complaining and not complained in a situation where I was about to, put an asterisk. If you'll do that two or three times a day and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you to not murmur, but to be a person who just exudes gratitude and confidence in God, you will see a remarkable change if you do that over a couple of months. God will, God will show up and work in you. And the people who are closest to you, they may see a remarkable change also. It's wonderful to be with someone who trusts God and even in difficult circumstances. You can, you can become that person by the grace and power of God. Many people I know who murmur and complain way too much actually don't realize that they murmur and complain way too much. So ask God to show you if this is what he wants you to work on. Maybe it isn't. 
Maybe you're one of those wonderful examples of somebody who's confident and very grateful. But if it is you, then maybe this is the one he wants you to work on. Now we're going to briefly look at one more suggestion to finish off this series. And it's one of the most difficult things for people to do. And it's, we're going to go back, again, we're going backwards in this chapter. We're going to go back and start at verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2. This is one of the most famous passages in the entire Bible. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I hear amen. Amen. We are centuries down from the initial impact of God coming to earth as Jesus Christ. We don't realize that this whole passage was completely foreign to the mentality of the ancient world. You did not get honor and glory. The way you got honor and glory was you killed your enemies and conquered them and took them over. You did not get honor and glory by dying on a cross after being tortured for your enemies. And yet... Christ's humility is such that he did this when he had done nothing wrong. Humbles himself. He doesn't insist on his rights as God. He dies for us. In the book of Revelation, I'm just over, it just, it's the lamb who was slain. That's probably going to be the, all, there are many wonderful, beautiful characteristics about Jesus, but it's his sacrifice and his suffering for us that we're just going to, one of the things that we'll probably be the most in awe of. Now, this is a great example, this text, of how we shouldn't cling to our rights. That's not where I'm going with this today. Instead, I want to talk to you about something that's pretty difficult for most of the people I know, and that is, I have a suggestion to you about humility in your most important relationships. See, Jesus demonstrated humility by being tortured and dying for us when he had done nothing wrong. My question for you is, are you willing to demonstrate humility when you actually do do something wrong. Let me read to you a few passages. This one from James 5. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And then from Numbers, and this is typical of several passages in the Old Testament, when a man or woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord and that person realizes his guilt, he shall confess his sin that he has committed and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him to whom he did wrong. And then Jesus in Matthew 5, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. One of the most difficult things for many people to do is to admit when they have sinned against someone to say they were wrong and to ask for forgiveness. 
Even though Jesus humbled himself and died for us when he did nothing wrong, we struggle to humble ourselves when we have definitely done something wrong. Many play the game of assigning more blame to the other people. Well, yeah, I was wrong, but they were more wrong. 10% was me, 90% was them. Would you stop and think for a minute? When was the last time your spouse or best friend said these words to, to you? I was wrong. You were right. Please forgive me. For some people, those are just about the hardest words to say. But they can make a huge difference in all of your relationships, but especially the people closest to you. You see, part of it is just it's so hard for us to really believe the gospel. That's why we have to come, keep coming back and remind ourselves in our small groups and our worship and as we study the scriptures and as we pray that we don't earn it. We're actually much worse than we realize, but we're much more loved than we realize. But we don't want to admit to other people that we did something wrong. And our default opinion is we've got to earn God's love and we've got to earn their love. And we're afraid if we admit that we did something wrong or that we were more wrong than they were or wrong at all, that then they won't love us. Do you know that the people closest to you, they're probably kind of moving toward agape love, that unconditional love, maybe not all the way there, but pretty much. And they actually know you well enough to know that you're not perfect. And they will actually love you more if you admit it than if you don't. They don't expect you to be perfect. But it'd really mean a lot to them if you'd tell them sooner rather than later when you do something you shouldn't. Peacemakers Ministries came some years ago and trained us all in how to do this. And if you want one, if this is the area you decide to pick and grab one of these pamphlets up here on the back, it's got the seven A's of confession. It's got a bunch of other good stuff in it too. It's a great uh, system. Um, and I'll just go through these with you briefly. When you want to ask someone for their forgiveness, it's very important to include all seven of these A's. Uh, you want to address everyone involved. It's your whole family or, you know, you, you address them all. Oftentimes we're talking this series about the people close to you, maybe just be your spouse or your best friend. You want to avoid using the words if or but or maybe. Well, if I offended you, don't ever say that. Or, uh, you know, I, I know I was wrong, but you... Don't ever say that. Or, you know, maybe I did something that was not so... No. Own up to it. State it. Admit specifically. Instead of a generic confession like, I was not very nice. You know, when I got mad at you because you did that, I was wrong. I was being selfish or I was irritable or whatever it might be. Admit specifically what happened and what you did. And then the hardest one is to acknowledge the hurt because what you need to do, and often you need to get on your knees and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to actually put you in the place of the person and to feel what they felt when you did what you did. And to live that. Try and live it in their skin a little bit and let it break your heart. And they will know whether or not you've tried to do that when you ask for their forgiveness. They can usually tell if you're just kind of doing it superficially or if it really has impacted you because of how you've made them hurt. That's the hard one. Take the time to do that well with the Holy Spirit. Accept the consequences. You know, if you stole something, you've got to pay it back, as we read. If you badmouth them, try and do the best you can to repair the damage. If you insulted them, realize that, you know, they may be hurt for a little while. It may take them a little while to restore the relationship. Alter your behavior. Explain what you plan to do differently in the future. 
Be sure you make those changes. Sometimes they're going to want to wait and see, especially if you've done this numerous times. They're going to kind of want to wait and see. Do you really alter your behavior? Behavior. And then actually ask for forgiveness after specifically stating what you did and really expressing how grieved you are because you've lived it through their emotions. Um, say, I was wrong. Say the words, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And if they don't answer, ask them again. Humbling yourself and asking for forgiveness, especially of those closest to you, can be a very powerful tool of transformation in your life. I was first taught these principles three years after I became a follower of Jesus and um, I had to make a list of a whole bunch of people that I need to go ask their forgiveness. I'd, just, I'd, have, I'd done a lot of things wrong. And I loved Jesus and I wanted to please him and I wanted to become like him and I understood that the Bible said I needed to go talk to people and ask their forgiveness and I remember calling up one girl that I'd sinned against uh, in high school. I was in college by this time, and I asked her forgiveness after doing what it says here. And she said, you know, and I had I'd sent her a lot of mixed messages because I'd take her to Young Life, but um, also didn't treat her right. And uh, she said, you know, when you used to do that stuff and say you, you know, believed in Jesus, I really didn't know if you really meant that. But now I know you did. It was one of the hardest things I'd ever done was to go back and ask forgiveness of all these different people, my family, my friends, and so forth. But it helped me to see what it does when I sin against people and how they feel. And it also really motivated me not to keep repeating the same sins over and over. So of all the tools you can use in a relationship, this is one of the hardest but it's also one of the most transformative. If you will cooperate with the Holy Spirit, let Him lead you to the people you need to ask forgiveness of and do it in this manner. Let's pray together. Now, I'm just going to give you a minute just to think about what God is saying to you specifically. Just take a minute. Ask him to show you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to work powerfully. We can be so dense and so self-deceived. Please don't let that happen to us. Show us what we need to work on. Show us what you want to do in our hearts. Um, speak to us. Nudge us. Help us to understand. Lord, I pray, I, I just lift up everyone in this room and if, if you're saying to them that they murmur and complain too much, Lord, I pray that you would um, show that right now. Lord, I, if there's anyone in here who it's been a long time since they said they were wrong and asked forgiveness of their spouse or their best friend or their co-workers or their 
fellow students. Lord, would you reveal that to them right now? Holy Spirit, we don't want to go through the motions of coming to church. So we ask that you would pour yourself out on this place, on this peninsula, and work powerfully. That we would just see you take the little baby steps we take and turn them into giant strides. And that the people in our lives would see that too. That our, the people closest to us would see you forming in us. So come Holy Spirit, work powerfully. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, some parting words from Pastor Rick. One of the things that we want everyone who comes here to feel is to feel loved. And one of the best ways that you can help with that is to actually try to learn people's names. And one of the best ways to do that is make sure that your picture's in the pictorial directory and it takes about 10 seconds to go by and have your picture taken. And we really appreciate if you do it. If we can all cooperate with that, it just makes a big difference when you learn people's names. We hope, every, every Sunday we pray that um, the Holy Spirit will speak to you and we hope that he did today. If you need someone to pray with you or would like that, right around this corner, there's a, what we call a prayer wreath. All the ribbons represent answers to prayers in that prayer wreath back there around the corner. God's doing a lot of powerful things, and He wants to do powerful things in your life. So I hope you'll take advantage of that and be prayed for. Would you receive God's power? Now be filled with the Holy Spirit that you have all the power you need to resist any and every temptation, that you have all the power you need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and see your life and your heart and your desires transformed, that you have all the power you need to be a great friend to the people in your life, the people closest to you. God bless you. Go in peace. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.